Hello and welcome to the Department 12 podcast where we talk about everything industrial and organizational psychology. I'm your host, Dr. Ben Butina, and my guest today is Jonathan Nasher. How are you today, Jonathan? I'm doing well. Thanks so much, Ben. It's great to be here. You are a senior consultant and a recent graduate of the master's program in IO Psych at the Chicago School of Professional Psychology. Congratulations on that. Oh, thank you. You have an unusual background. You transitioned into a career in IO Psych Consulting from the Marine Corps. How long were you a Marine? Started my Marine Corps career back in 2009. I spent 12 years on active duty as a naval aviator and a Marine officer. Some of my listeners are veterans and some specialize in military and the defense industry. But statistically uh, speaking, fewer than 1% of the U.S. population joins the military. So it's fair to assume that most listeners have gotten their impressions of the military mainly from movies and TV shows. What do we get wrong when we do that? What unfounded assumptions from non-service members do you encounter the most? One of the main things that really popped out to me as I started my career transition, and as I've been in the military and, and seen my peers and my leaders in action over, you know, over a decade, is misperception that you don't have a very intellectual base within the service because actually a lot of my peers and a lot of the people that I, I grew up around are very well studied, come from a diverse and sometimes very prestigious academic background and are genuinely in the Marine Corps and stay in the Marine Corps or the service for altruistic or service-oriented reasons. Let's go back to 2009. Why the military for you and, and why the Marine Corps specifically? There were several reasons that I decided to join the Marine Corps. I was finishing at my bachelor's degree in State University of New York at Genesee, and it was uh, in psychology. And I'd actually had some had an IO class in my undergrad there, but I wasn't really sure what I wanted to do. And I didn't really want to continue going forward with a master's or doctorate program at that point. So I knew I was going to be looking for some career options. In my junior year, I got this email from an officer selection office. So basically a Marine recruiter that only recruits people into their officer candidate pipeline. And they had a number of things that I found quite appealing. At the time, they were helping to pay back college loans that you'd accrued while you were in college. They had a pipeline for you to go and sign a contract and go direct into aviation. And ever since I was you know, a very young person, I'd had an interest in flying and in uh, aviation and military aviation specifically. And I'd also had an interest in being a Marine. And until that point, I think it hadn't occurred to me that I could you know, kind of check both of those boxes at the same time. So when I saw those three things coming together, it appealed to me as well as the the opportunity to, to make an impact and to serve my country. All right. Very good. So you became a, an aviator. What, what did you fly? Yeah, absolutely. So I flew the new UH-1 Yankee, which is a four-bladed upgraded model of the traditional Bell Huey helicopter. And it looks very, very similar. And yeah, so... I think, let's see, finished flight school in 2012. So I would have been gotten my my initial flight in the, in the Huey probably in fall of 2012. And then I've been flying it 
pretty much since with a, a small break in my career where I was out of the country. In your time in the Marine Corps, you took on you know, progressively more responsibility and, and higher rank. Do you continue to fly during that time or does your focus shift more towards the operation? That's a great question. So you fly less and that's probably the best that I could frame that. As a naval aviator, there's a very technical component to your job. So it's almost like you're on a technical pipeline. But the Marine Corps also has organizational competencies and leadership expectations out of all of its officers across the board. So you're also in this officer development pipeline. As you move forward in your career, you inherently are assigned more leadership tasks, as well as being expected to progress in the associated syllabi in the aircraft. As a result, as you, as you gain experience, as you promote, you typically accrue more duties in the aircraft as well as as a leader on the job. You ended your active duty career with the Marine Corps as a major. Can you help us understand the level of responsibility that rank entails? Is there a, a job title in the corporate world you could align it to roughly? Absolutely. So the Marine Corps actually does a really good job of equipping people to exit and to make that transition into a civilian They have a transitioning readiness seminar that they provide to everyone and actually require of everyone who is uh, making that exit decision. And one of the guides that is included in that actually has a list or chart of positions that you have served in while you're in the Marine Corps and how they associate to uh, civilian positions just so that you have something to draw direct parallels. Using that, using advice and LinkedIn profiles from other people in my military vet network, I was able to kind of draw parallels to a director or deputy director in different levels or different positions that I worked in sort of at the the end of uh, my Marine Corps tenure. Your last assignment in the Marines was as an executive officer or EXO, as it's frequently abbreviated. Could you share what the scope of that role was? Yeah, absolutely. Most units have a, a commanding officer and an executive officer, so a one and two respectively. The role of the EXO is generally a very inward-focused process, program management, project management, personnel management focus. The unit that I was serving serving as the XO in was personnel support detachment sort of mission. So I, I functionally ended up, as I was completing my master's degree, also getting some experience relating directly to human resources and personnel management, succession planning, and several other items like that. The, the group that I was Serving at this time was uh, actually the largest group in the Marine Corps aviation group. That is the specific squadron that I was the XO of was focused on a lot of the internal processes that were coordinating for several of the other operational flight squadrons at the time. So not only are you working the administrative and project management side, but you're also dealing with, with people and the, the people aspects, the leadership aspect, the mentorship and development pieces that come with the job. If I tried to think about this in civilian terms, the, the number one person, the commanding officer I could think of is almost like the CEO that has overall responsibility and maybe more outward looking and, and managing the unit's relationship with other units in the, in the environment. And the XO would be more like a chief operating officer. I would say that's actually very close to the truth. Okay. And then 
obviously that's embedded within within the larger structures. So it does become interesting in terms of, you know, how do you draw parallels to what is a business customer? Uh, what is your product and uh, things of that nature. But I think that you're overall, you're looking at that in a pretty accurate context. There could also be a parallel to like a chief of staff, just depending on how the organization is structured. Do you find civilians tend to understand what that means? So what an executive officer is or or what they do, or do you find that you have to translate your military experience somewhat? So that's a great question. I was coached to, and I did during the interview processes, I did make sure that I uh, practiced speaking to and broke down what it was I did and what parallels there were, rather than just saying, this is my title. Without the context, people generally are not able to make those associations, or if they don't have a, a background in that, they just, they simply don't know what it means. So rather than saying you were something that you weren't, what I would typically prefer to do is outline what I actually did and how it is comparable to certain roles or uh, positions that you might be interested in. We're, we're back with you in the Marine Corps here. Uh, we're on your last assignment. Presumably, you've been thinking about this civilian transition for a while. How did you land on IO Psych Consult? I knew what IO Psych was, and I'd been interested in it for several years. I actually, back in 2014, one of the leaders that I worked for while I was in the Marine Corps gave me John Cotter's Leading Change, and I read it. And I absorbed it like a sponge. I absolutely love the content. I love the ideas. But what I landed on was there were a number of principles within the books that I could apply immediately in the Marine Corps that I was very interested in. And I took that forward because the, the squadron life and the military aviation life has you rotate almost like a leadership development program through different billets every six to nine months. I got a extensive look at operations, logistics, administration, top-level leadership, maintenance, and logistics, like the supply and demand portion of it, as well as some of the technical aspects of different maintenance shops within aviation. And then was able to also see, because a few of my other positions that I worked in were a very direct leadership role in aviation maintenance capacities, and one of those roles, I was tasked with taking a underperforming section and helping it to max out its, its performance, max out its qualifications, and to ultimately come together and succeed as a team. It was kind of during that process, you know, several years later, this is now we're skipping forward to 2018-19. But during that process, I just realized how much I love leadership, change management, you know, the, the, the leading change where those two things meet, the intersection of those two. And I said, I, I think I want to learn how to do this for a career. This is what I'm passionate about. And I knew of IO psychology and I started to look into it a little bit more, found a program that I was interested in and I moved forward with it from there. It sounds like you had the seed planted uh, back in your undergraduate days because you mentioned that you did have an IO psych class as an undergrad that's really encouraging to hear because it's pretty rare that I talk to a guest who had even heard about IO psychology as an undergraduate. I asked a question earlier about what is it that non-veterans or non-service members tend to get wrong about the military. Let me flip that question. 
and ask you, what do vets tend to get wrong about the civilian workplace? Or a different way to ask that is, what assumptions do you make about the civilian workforce that got trashed by reality? That's a great question. First off, I landed at a really great place, and I'm incredibly fortunate to be where I'm at. I think that there's some things that I assume would be different, assuming that people wouldn't speak in acronyms. It turns out they still do, and now I don't know what all acronyms mean. So, you know, that's a <laughs> that's one of the downsides. Upsides, though, I think that a lot of veterans will find that they can be themselves in their role. And that was one of my main concerns going into um, the civilian workforce was that I wouldn't be able to bring my whole self. I wouldn't be able to bring that part of my my work history with me, or that there wouldn't be opportunities for me to, to apply that, or that the challenges wouldn't be, wouldn't be similar. And, you know, I've honestly found that they are, and that you can really leverage what you learned in the service on a day-to-day -day basis, whether it be producing deliverables or solving problems, applying critical thinking. I think there's, there's just so much overlap and it's, it's really been quite encouraging and very exciting. I, I like that you used that phrase, being able to be yourself or bring your whole self to work. I think it points to a dimension of inclusion and diversity that often gets overlooked in, in terms of life experiences. One of the, the things I struggle with with a topic like this is that I don't know what I don't know. So I'd like to ask you, is there a question that you wish I had asked? That's a good question. I think that the most important thing to realize whether you are a veteran who's getting ready to get out or if you're looking to um, hire a veteran is that the actual act of transitioning out of the service can be a very daunting task for a lot of people. It certainly was for me. And there's a lot of things that you're leaving, which is career and work stability in very large amounts. You're also leaving a very strong culture and a support network. And it's also kind of a process. So if I were to answer a veteran asking me, what do you need as you're as you're starting to get out, I would say you need to start to network, draw on that support from other veterans, start to network with people who've landed where you want to end up, start to plan using milestones just the same way that you would you know, plan an operation or plan a deployment and plan backwards from your goal and come up with achievable steps and objectives along the way that you can work to meet so that you can arrive at the point that you want to be at and that you can do that within the time frame that that you are committed to. So, if I were to apply that, you know, to to a non-veteran, I would say when that person is leaving in that gap where they're they're not retiring, but they've been in in the service for, you know, 8 years or so or more. What I would say is they're choosing to undergo a significant life event to be able to transition and come work for you or with you. And chances are that person is very motivated to succeed, not only in that transition, but once they got out and once they are out and once they are in the workplace. And I think that they will be very committed to your cause and to helping move the ball forward, so to speak, whatever initiatives, projects, or plans that they, they are landing on. Jonathan, this has been a fascinating conversation. I want to thank you for taking the time 
to share your experience and to help us understand the military a little bit. All right. Well, thank you so much, Ben. I am so grateful to have been on. I love the podcast and it definitely was a, a great support for me while I was going through grad school and working at a career transition. So I just wanted to recognize you. Well, that's incredibly gratifying to hear and I thank you for it. All right. Thank you so much.